0: Empire of the Suns. Suns. Empire of the Suns.
1: Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast.
0: Empire of the Suns.
1: The Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kelly Nolson, joined as always by Kevin Zerman. Hello. How's it going? Here we are after we just said we're going to take a break, but. We said pending, and it was pending for three days. I was rather insulted by the Suns making a trade as soon as I got done doing three weeks of fill in. Like we could have used, we, we didn't need stuff to talk about coming out of July 4th weekend, certainly, but the two, the week before that and the week uh, after that, could have used the extra juice, and here they are. The first uh, day of shows I'm not on for three weeks, and they and they do a bunch of stuff. How dare they? Clearly intentional. <laughs> the world doesn't revolve around you. Come on. Uh fine. I guess it doesn't. Uh, all right. Let's talk about all the things that happened, shall we? The Suns made three tra- transactions on Sunday. It was two trades and a signing. The noise that we had been hearing about Bull Bull for the past two or three weeks came to fruition. He was signed. I think that the main, not the main question, the question when all of this was kept getting brought up the last two weeks was like, okay, they don't have the roster spot for him. Now they can resolve that at a later juncture, but they did not. They traded campaign, a second-round pick, and cash to the San Antonio Spurs for a future protected second-round pick. I don't want to call that a fake second-round pick because sometimes... Protected picks have protections on them that are basically – it's never going to be a pick that they get. We'll have to wait and see. We haven't had anything reported yet there, but I did want to mention that small tidbit. And then in the same – like at the same moment, essentially, they confirmed a a trade with the Orlando Magic where they send out a 2026 pick swap, uh, a first-round pick swap in 2026, And they get back three second round picks. Uh, One of them is in 2024. So it's actually rather it's coming up in the next draft, which is uh, new for the second round picks that came in from the Isaiah Todd trade. Those were in 25, 28, and 29. But then the uh, two other second round picks coming in, the Magic trade is the least favorable of the Pistons, Magic, or Bucks in 2026. So that is likely going to be in the back half of the second round. And then in 2028, they get the Celtics second round pick. Excuse me. If it falls between 46 and 60, I'm guessing Jason Tatum will still be a member of the Boston Celtics by then. I know five years is a long time, but it seems like he's going to be there for quite a while. So I would, I would, uh, guess that converts to them. Maybe it would require the Celtics to not make the playoffs essentially for them to not get it. But if they don't, uh, if that pick does land between 31 and 45 then the suns just don't get it uh so those are those are all the moves uh that they made where do you want to start oh let's start with campaign trade okay so the campaign trade also yields the suns a trade uh a trade exception Now, for those of you new around here or new to the concept of trade exceptions, which we've talked about here and there over the course of this podcast the last seven to eight years, but certainly not with the importance that they have right now. Uh, Trade exceptions are often existing, rarely utilized. Uh, They have a year expiration date, I I believe so. And a lot of times fans get excited about the existence of them, rightfully so, and look at all these possibilities, and then they wind up rarely getting used. I wanted to mention that from the jump because it's just like the standard that has been set for them. But with that being said, the Suns have shown that they have a plan and they're going to execute it. And I would guess that part of their plan includes using this uh, exception, which they sort of need to if they're going to trade players. Now, where this comes into mind is if they don't use it now, uh, they can use it, of course, during the season. But if we're talking about like a trade deadline trade, for example, I think it's more likely that they actually trade a player. As opposed to that, you cannot attach this uh, exception to a player. You cannot combine the uh, exceptions. There's a 6.5 billion dollar one from the campaign trade, and then the five million dollar one from the Dario trade. So you can't combine those and do 11.5 million. You can't combine the 6.5 million dollar one with like Josh Akogi and and get 9.5 million or whatever. Uh, that is not how it works. So the Suns take a guy in... I don't know. We, we. I guess we didn't really talk about this because we more just assumed the campaign wasn't really going to have a concrete role on this team going in. Were you there?
0: Mm, I wasn't there necessarily. I think there's always a need for that player if you go down one ball handler. Um, I think there is a legit question of I wouldn't say enough ball handlers on this team but the enough variation and variety where I just think there's value always in having someone who can run it and not put it on one of the three stars and I guess attached to all these three trades like Shams put out there that they expect Bradley Beal to be their kind of their primary point guard which we can get into there but that leads me to more questions and wondering okay well maybe you don't do point book because it's too much on him, but for the same reasons that you didn't want it all on book, deal can be applied to that too. So I don't know. I I think there were lots of conspiratorial ways to look at the pain deal. Like how much is it in, in tax savings if it's over 25 million or whatever it is? Yeah, um, that's significant. Matt Ishbia has shown he doesn't care about that. So that's kind of curious is it just to add Bull Bull? Well, is Bull Bull necessarily a better NBA player than campaign? Sorry, I don't I don't think so. Um, not at this point in his career anyway. So there's just a little bit of conspiracy toward why they would do this, um, and makes you wonder, like, is there another deal on the horizon? Which I I don't know. What do you think about like the actual reasons beyond, like they swapped second round picks in that deal, and you opened up a roster spot. But did, was there anything beyond that? Do you think?
1: I think they like Bull Bull, and they wanted Bull Bull, and this is was about uh, one getting Bull Bull, but two looking at campaign as a six and a half million dollar salary and trying to use him in the myriad of ways that they did. Um, I would assume the timing of this combined with the Orlando trade happening at the exact moment means that they were looking at attaching second round picks to Cam and nothing really came to uh, to be there. I think that the interesting thing about the exception and potentially using it over the next couple of weeks, it, it, they'd have to cut someone again. So that's where we returned back to like cutting-ish. And I think cutting-ish for bowl-bowl is different than cutting-ish for a point guard at this stage. But would you have made all of these kinds of moves to set you up in a position where you have to cut-ish? That's where I kind of... Run in a circle here and I I because the all three moves are related uh, because of the because of the timing they, they, they have to be but also just because they are um mm-hmm. I think they're fine I think it's okay but it's one of those things where would I have done it I, I don't think so now the tax cut to be clear is 26 million dollars off the luxury tax bill but that's not a luxury tax bill that gets factored in until after the trade deadline. Something we brought up last year and the year before when the Suns were looking like a tax team is it doesn't cement itself as what the bill is until the end of the season. So it doesn't really matter right now that they've cut $26 million off. It matters if they don't add on any more money from there. And that's when the $26 million will like help will hold up over the course of the season. So if they wind up using that exception or they bring in more salary then we'll see in terms of that. And I'm just, I'm I'm less of the belief that this was tax-related, just based on everything we've gotten to know. But with that being said, this mirrors the Dario trade, where Dario was a useful player for them at times. His rotation role was insignificant enough to afford to let him go, but you knew that in a pinch, you could at least use him as an option and see how it went. Um, and then you bring in someone like Darius Baisley, who to that point had not proven that he could be a contributor on a winning team, but had all of these tantalizing possibilities with the type of player that he could be. And the move also saved you money on the tax bill. So that was that move. And that is more or less this move as well. So they're, they're very similar in that regard. I think I think they need a point guard still, but it's not of the uh, it's not of the utmost importance. I think that whichever point guard they bring in will likely not likely I don't think would factor into the playoff rotation unless they were good enough. The thing about Jordan Goodwin as a point guard is that he can start possessions, but I don't think he necessarily ends possessions. If that makes sense, he can initiate he can be the guy to dribble it up so the guys can get going off the ball and he can make the play from there. He can do some drive and kick stuff, don't get me wrong, but is he, like, in every possession or, like, every other possession kind of playmaker in terms of being that kind of point guard? No. Is he the guy that's going to, like, set the tempo, set the rhythm of the team when he's out there? Not necessarily. So I I think there is a need for that guy on every single basketball team, even ones this good. And, look, maybe Book is capable of that. I, I don't know if he is just yet, because that's just another level of point guard play that it takes a while to reach. Those are the intangibles. And I tweeted it yesterday and I've said it on this podcast and numerous times this summer. I think he's one of the best point guards on the planet, but all of this is kind of overreaction to something that was already there in my opinion. Cause like, I didn't think cam was going to have a role going into the year. I didn't believe it when Vogel was talking about him during his introductory press conference and I more or less believed that we were looking at these four guards, um, or four ball handlers, I should say, with Gordon Goodwin, Beal Booker, and it was gonna just go from there, and whoever else factored in was gonna be very, very supplementary, and I think that's what we're still looking at. But yeah, I found that I, I wasn't surprised by the point guard conversation yesterday, but I guess I was surprised by how much people thought that Cam could have a pretty Not a pretty big role, but a role on the team next year beyond being at the end of the bench and being a point guard to turn to when guys got hurt. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um,
0: Look, I mean, I think we had this discussion when Goodwin came in, Eric Gordon, again, is a huge, huge part of this. And at the end of the day, I think we always, we said, like, Josh Akogi probably will start um, just because it makes sense and, like, one of the two guards is going to have to play point. And I, I think you distribute it enough, even if you give Goodwin and even a Kogi can bring the ball up and initiate, technically initiate offense, um, they're, they're fine. They're going to take the load off and get those guys uh, coming off screens in actions when they catch the ball and be moving and having the defense be moving already. And I think that's kind of half the battle. Um, but to your point, like was campaign even that good of a temp controller I would kind of disagree I mean he was more up tempo and that's when he was at his best when it's just like flip of a switch we're moving fast this time um, and obviously like he had two games in the playoffs against the Clippers in game two before the value like you look at that stat line it's his best stat line best game as a son is like I I think I read your recap or the AP recap and he was mentioned he scored like 29 had like nine assists two steals two blocks he was like 500 words down in the story of what happened in that game. Um, And then, obviously, how he played in that last game against Denver. Like, yeah, they're getting blown out, I guess. But, you know, he has value, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Um, But I don't know if it was necessarily Chris Paul controlling the tempo. And that's why we heard the TJ McConnell rumors, interest in the Suns, from the Suns' end, because there's just that lack of just control the tempo push the brakes, put the brakes on if the team needs it. And they're just out of control, out of sync that type of player. But I I think that's a challenge for Booker. Um, Beal has probably had enough of those moments himself on that, those wizards teams of late. So they're, they're valid questions about about just filling out a roster um it's a bit of redundancy maybe if you have ish wainwright and Bull Bull. obviously they do very different things um but which ones are functional in games uh that's going to be interesting to see how they kind of pan out like being useful or if guys go down how this roster kind of manipulates itself but um yeah i mean at the end of the day i think they're still in a fine spot and it was just about hey we're gonna take a flyer on bowl, save a little money in the process and we're we're also working to get picks and that's the biggest thing um the trade exception you would have to tell me like what kind of guys are on the cutting block or could be on the cutting block in that salary range but there's there's value in having that or a couple of them to use too
1: Uh, Before we move off of Cam entirely, I should just mention a huge part of what the Suns accomplished over the last three years. He will go on the Colts heroes list that we mentioned uh, Chris not being on because he was above it. But the Kelly Oubre Ricky Rubio group, he is in the mix there. Certainly was one of the best, if not the best backup point guard in the league. The finals run year, the first two games of the Western Conference finals game Two, one of the best playoff performances in franchise history. In my opinion, when you consider context, Chris being out. What he did, I think he had 29-9, two-and-two, and zero turnovers, uh, and that led to them being in the game uh, to get the value down. Um, he was he was pretty good in the other two series, from what I remember as well, and his energy and just how he connected to the fan base and was a pleasant guy to interact with overall uh, as a media member. So wishing him well, and I think that I tweeted this, I think the Spurs have a use for someone like him. I think he can help them win ball games. I think he brings a change of pace. And I think that having his pace as a direct rim attacker to put with Wemby or whoever else they want to put in ball screens will uh, be of service to them. But yeah, I guess I didn't realize how one I felt, and two, how the rest of the uh, Sun's Twitter sphere, Sun's reactors, whatever you want to call it, re- felt about point guard and ball handling as it was. Um, because I didn't have any concerns about it beforehand and I don't they haven't changed by this move at all. I've got ten names for you, Kevin. They are the ten players making between five to six and a half million dollars a year that play point guard. Are you ready? Wow, perfect. Thank you. Give me your impressions of each guy. I'll quick hit it. Here we go. Reggie Jackson, five million dollars. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Davion Mitchell, five million dollars. Oh yeah, that's a good one. And
0: also, someone who he's kind of on the—do uh, they like him enough in Sacramento?
1: Had enough moments in the playoffs and played enough consistently in the playoffs, where I think he's not touchable for what they would have to give up. Essentially, right? Uh, Casein Wallace, five point three million dollars. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a rookie. He wouldn't go anywhere. Now here's a fun one: Cole Anthony, five point five million dollars. That,
0: I I don't think you would get that. You would need some other stuff thrown in there. I
1: think you would need some other stuff maybe, but at the same time, Orlando just took another guard in the top 10 and they have so many ball handlers outside of, you know, the fact that their two best players are Paolo and Franz, who should have the ball and they're not lead ball handlers. So they've got a lot of stuff to sort out. Maybe there's something to be done there. A uh, former friend, will say, uh, as a as a draft correspondence, we used to be Kyra Lewis Junior. Five point seven million dollars. Has he developed yet? Don't I know. Don't know the, I don't know. Dyson Daniels five point eight million. Oh yeah, they're not trading him. Tyrese Halliburton five point eight million dollars. I very very I will quit my job if they trade him this year. Um. Isn't that crazy that he makes five point? He, he ranks 49th in point guard salaries. Tyrese Albert, one of the 15, <laughs> 20, 30 best players in the league. That's nuts. Here's the one everyone was talking about. Ricky Rubio, $6.1 million. Okay. Yeah. Why not? The recently signed Javon Carter, $6.2 million. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, he would fit if if for some reason. Yeah.
1: And then he's right next to campaign, $6.5 the, uh, full 94 feet backcourt there right next to each other in salaries as it was meant to be Uh, Patty Mills at 6.8 million. And then Killian Hayes at 7.4 million. You want to take another upside swing at a guy who's probably bad at basketball. There you go. That could be another one. (laughs) Speaking of that, um, you were like tweeting or or saying to me in some kind of stretch that you got some kind of feedback on your bull bull remarks. So you felt like you were being too critical of him, but uh, the way in which I wrote it is, it allowed me to vent. I know JJ Redick has made this rant, a similar rant before on the old man and three podcast, but there is a generation of basketball fans now who are both like our age, a little bit older, a little bit younger, where, I mean, if you think about the older generation, it's just the people who used to watch sports center. Right. And that, and that was the way that they would digest their basketball daily. And like how players played. they would read the box scores in the paper the next morning or whatever, but mm-hmm. watching sports Center highlights now has turned into Instagram highlights for, a certain generation, TikTok, whatever you want to call it. And those generation of basketball fans think Bull Bull is going to be really, really good, or at least a, a pocket of them do. Now, I think if you bring up just about any player in the league, there are going to be people that are higher or lower on guys, and certainly there is reasons to be tantalized with Bull Bull. If you're not familiar with him as a player, uh, came out of I went to Oregon four years ago as someone who was looked at as a lottery pick. Kevin, I looked up his name in in like my Twitter history, and when we were doing the Empire of the Suns big board for that NBA draft in 2019, the Twitter vote had him seventh on their big board overall. So Ooh. when Twitter did their own top 10 um, Suns draft, so he was he was definitely thought of as a guy who could go in the lottery. I remember there was some injury concern there at the time, but that combined with just what his game was at Oregon had him slide all the way to 44th. Uh, overall, he goes to Denver, 7'2", 7'8", wingspan, handles the ball like a guard, can hit pull-up jumpers with ease, um, can hit step-backs, all that kind of stuff. Like, he shoots pull-up threes, and that's a valuable skill in and of itself. And then, obviously, with his length, even though he only weighs 220 pounds, a listed 220 pounds, his length defensively, like, he can block a lot of shots that not a lot of people can. So, you see highlights of this guy, and he he looks amazing, Right. But the tape is pretty brutal. Uh, I watched two games last night just to refresh myself. Oh. And his, uh, his feel for the game, Kevin, it's, it's a ways away. It's, it's real far away. Um, I was more puzzled by the move after going back and watching some tape it's just like feel stuff and knowing where to be stuff that we talk about all the time with young players. And he's so far behind in that regard. It just feels like he's got some ground really to make up there. And I feel like part of it has to do with what do you call like a luxurious tweener? Cause that's what he is. He's a tweener, but he's a tweener because he like handles like a guard and shoots, pull up threes. But he like he he blocks shots and should be a rim protector, but he weighs two hundred pounds, so like he can't he can't like hold up down there. Um, so I, I just I think part of that has probably hurt his development, where he he hasn't like been held to a certain role necessarily, and it hasn't allowed him to develop a lot of his. Um, watching that tape and then like looking back at his numbers and everything, the most you're getting out of him right now is offense, and the Suns do not want Bo Bowl- Bo isolating on the left wing. So that's doesn't make sense to me. Um, and, and I just watched uh, the tape and was just kind of uh, puzzled by this, if I'm being honest, on just the chances of him being a player who could help them win basketball games the next year. Um, yeah, that that's kind of where I landed. Just It was really just feel for the game, knowing where to be, and uh, something I saw people talking about yesterday. Is he played seventy games for the Magic last year? After playing under three hundred fifty minutes over three total seasons for Denver, uh, played twenty minutes a game for seventy games, and he just wasn't anyone. Who, he wasn't someone who really earned the trust of the coaching staff over the coach o- over the course of the year. And like watching it last night, I could see why. Um, yeah, I'm kind of puzzled by it. My my biggest thing about him is as a
0: prospect, if you foresee him making it ever what is he going to play on defense because of the size confusion that you brought up? But also if you watch the tape being in the right spot. Like the, the block numbers don't matter to me. Right. I don't care if you're like a lot of those blocks can be because you have a seven, eight wingspan and you're two steps off and you weren't in the right spot and you recovered because you're a really good athlete. Like maybe that's great and all, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I trust you on defense. Right. And you go into the offensive stuff. He shot, he made thirty threes last year. Like, 30. Like, that's not a stretch big. um, Jump shots, at least how it's tabulated and put into basketball reference, he shot 36% on jump shots. Not a good shooter at all, and from any range, really. Maybe very close mid-range, or like around the free throw line where he can get off shots. He's average, but... It, it's really about, okay, using your handle to get to the rim and that's a lot, every the three highlights that you see when you search his name on like Twitter is a transition, one of three transition takes and and that's great, but again it, it's really like how you would fit into this team and I think you gotta play defense and Frank Vogel's not in the business of talking about championship expectations to like trust him a whole lot. Now I think okay, if you want to really give him a good look on a developed team and throw him next to, like, the starters and DA maybe and just test run it here and there um, when you're, you know, down a guy or even just for the sake of seeing what he can do and pay attention to if he's following directions and learning quickly. But I, I think the reason that he didn't sign with anyone else the reason Michael Malone got tired of him after a year the reason the magic guy gave him a legit test run and we're like nah we're good is kind of just tells you what you need to know um I, I I don't know that's where I was like okay if you're trying to win a championship why would you bother trading campaign for this I guess
1: yeah, I think I think it kind of boils down to if you had to pick would campaign or bull bull contribute more to helping them win. Next year you would pick campaign ninety-nine times out of Like you'd you'd have it at like 95% chance campaign does it, maybe even higher, right? Just based on even with the inconsistency we mentioned with Cam. The thing about Bull and why I think a team like the Suns could buy into them being like the we can change him, the old um trope there, right? Um of the uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, he played in so many weird lineups there. They played Mo Bamba a lot. Obviously, they had Wendell Carter. He played with Mo Wagner. Like, he played with... They did two bigs all the time. And that was also out there with, like, Bancaro and Franz Wagner, who is also large. So there's just a lot of weird alignments on a bad... Off, a pretty bad offensive team the numbers the net rating stuff looked the best for him when he was out there without bomba or carter which made sense to me and mm-hmm. aligns with everything but yeah i just I, i'm trying to picture what it means on a team where he's not really going to have the ball and it's like he has to be a knockdown shooter which he he has not proven to be he has to be a good point five decision maker which that part is rough and then defensively is where he has to really provide his value and again, all the skills are there, but I was watching him because these two big lineups, he's defending on the perimeter and it's rough. Like even the on-ball stuff, like when it's not anticipatory and it's just guard your man, it was it, he's just stuck in this tweener spot. So um, I, I still like it just because his ceiling is so high that you have to take chances like this if you're the Suns because of the limited developmental avenues that you're going to have. That's what I ended my column with in saying, we don't think about it, but Josh Okogi was one of these, right? Because he's still only 25 years old. Ish is older, but he's newer to the NBA. Saban Lee is on his way to becoming one of these guys. We could see Jordan Goodwin or Tumani Kamara become the next guy to do this. And then the recent signings like Bates Diop, Metu, and Watanabe haven't really had full season chances on great teams yet. And that is what, or, or for the exception of Metu, I should say, and they're going to get it here. Uh, those three guys are at least. So I think that he falls into that category where like, let's say of that group. So you, you've got the big four, right? You've got eight and Beal Booker Durant. Let's say you hit on a Kogi Goodwin Kamara, and Watanabe. Like, I'll just throw four of them out there. Now you have eight guys. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So if Bull is one of those guys, then you have your rotation figured out for the next couple of years. Now, re-signing those guys, dealing with bird rights, things like that, that would have to um, continue to be figured out. But I think that's the vision, and I understand the vision, but I think it would have been better utilized on... A different player who has more accentuating pieces as opposed to this is a guy playing creative player who's never played two K before. Yeah, I mean that's that's a really good point. And for for me
0: personally, who's been on team Chimezzi Metu, it, it's kind of the same thing, right? It's look, Metu's twenty-six, he's a little older, not the same, same athletic profile, but he's an athlete who it's like, okay, there was a little bit of jump shooting value that if you develop the three you know and it happens like marquise morris is a good example where it takes years but you develop into a three-point shooter and suddenly by year eight like you've already developed like do the right things on defense if you develop the three and suddenly become that then you're gonna last for 12 14 years in this league um and i think if you catch one of those guys or a couple of these guys like you said um when they hit their developmental uptick and start to show, okay, I get it. And they're around Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and their championship or bust expectations, and they just need to get it in gear. And there's no reason why they feel like, Hey, I, I have no distractions. I'm really focused on this because this is where our team is. I think there they're, there's worth, it's worth taking a shot on that. So yeah, you make a good point on that. And yeah, it is hitting on a couple of these guys. You have, these contracts that you're going to have to deal with them at some point. But if you hit on him, like a again, was a great, they hit on him last
1: year and he came back. We'll see. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think positionally, I I think he's a center just because of what the perimeter defense looked like and what the people who watched him were saying yesterday, but I don't like he's too thin for a center, obviously. So I I just don't know. I I don't know what he is. and I'm guessing the Suns project him as more of a four than a five. And so that's where you factor in Metu and him playing the four or the five as well, assuming you believe he can shoot at some point. And they add just more size at that position on the back, back end of the depth chart. I don't know. I'm done trying to be logical and rationalize it. And I think it's just a, a stab. And if they hit on it, then. They get someone who's a really, really unique piece off the bench, and if they don't, they weren't going to use campaign anyway. I'm sure that's how they kind of feel about it, and they save twenty six million dollars. They get the straight exception; they could maybe use that's slightly larger than the other one, and they move. I don't know. I think that's all there is to it.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, look, and also like they're built very kind of positionless, so like you can play him alongside Ish or Matu even. I don't know if you'd play him and Matu in serious lineups, not late in the game, but you can get a bigger body in there with him and and do fine. And even if he's technically the center or whatever. So.
1: All right, buddy. I think that'll do it. Nothing else happened in the NBA while we were gone for five days, right? No. Um, Summer league title game tonight. Can you feel the anticipation? What are we at? Jazz Cavs, Cleveland and someone. I don't know who the other team is. I think Houston. I want to say Houston. Can't might wait more. Be Houston. You might be right. I will not be tuning into that, buddy. Won't be doing it. Count me out. Won't be there. Okay. All right. Well, you know. if you didn't listen to uh, last week's podcast, uh, we are going to keep signing these off with a, hey, maybe we'll be back. Maybe we won't, but in terms of a weekly schedule, that is more of a we're here when we're going to be, if we're going to be. And guess what? There was news yesterday, so we were back, and that will continue to be the case uh, this offseason. So we'll talk to you when we do. See ya.